Hey guys, welcome to episode 228 with the very, very awesome Jenna Friedman. I uh, just want to get a few shout outs in. Velen, Heidi, Nissa, and Cam, thanks for your emails. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. As I is outlined in the um, description, this is not a, a super teenager heavy <laughs> podcast episode, but uh, I feel like we addressed that a couple of times in the podcast, so I won't say too much more about it. But uh, I hope everyone's doing great, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. Now entering Nerdist.com. disclaimers I can make like what have I I've apologized for the yeah, darkness it's okay what else have I apologized I feel I feel like I've qualified every single thing like and then there's also holding the microphone oh, like no, it's, holding great. The it's great uh welcome in did you have fun at Sketchfest? I, I know it. we emailed a little Are bit we're live now it's happening live we're live or we're, we're on we're on oh we're on. I loved Full it on yeah at the best time I did um my show there and it went well and it was Had like you've been up there before I go to California. I go to San Francisco a lot. My niece and nephew are there. And but you so hadn't done Sketchfest before. I hadn't done Sketchfest. Yeah. No, but I did do um, American Cunt at Doc's you Lab prior, did. before the apocalypse. So I did it. How did you come to be in that picture? You sent me now. I I I got oh, to put I have that other photos on. that aren't that. Yeah. One. Well, I'm fascinated. First of all, so it was a great thing to send me. But um, yeah, I'll probably just get something that's closer up. That's, that's more not just you. Trump. But um, but yeah, how did you come? To, I'm sure you've talked about this. But so um, I was in a film called Undecided. It was on Netflix, and we basically shot a feature on the campaign trail. We snuck cameras into campaign events and filmed everything, and they edited it in about two weeks. Wow. And trolled everyone and i played the field producer and the two main characters really funny comedians they played the most heightened version of every candidate's base uh-huh and they had already gotten kicked out of a trump town hall for heckling him calling him boring uh-huh <laughs> a year prior a year prior i mean they like out trump the trump yeah supporter thing like they and so they had a joke that actually Fox News picked up where they were passing out armbands, Trump armbands. Uh-huh. And because I had done field production on The Daily Show, I'm like, this joke will only land if you actually have people inside with the armbands. Sure. On. And they're like, well, we can't get inside because we're recognizable. And I was like, let me try to get in. And I had a female DP with me. And I say her gender because there is something about like women. I think that is disarming. And especially when you're doing guerrilla shooting. We people- might as well explore. I, that's the, I mean, I really sort of go back and forth on that stuff. But it's like when I need to exploit that, I feel but like I also think for like space, shows but- should hire more women, yeah. like news shows and all oh, sorts absolutely. of women crew because women crew members are just more disarming so they were like who are you guys and i was like women for trump women for trump and she accidentally we hadn't we it happened so fast that she we hadn't like decided on what we were going to tell them and she was like we're with a show undecided which is what i was supposed to say and then they're like wait what and i was like oh the show undecided is covering women for trump and then they're like okay you can get in and so they put me like there was an open seat right behind him and i was terrified because we didn't actually plan what we were going to do 
And I had all sorts of things in my head. And he had Secret Service at this point. He was a, he hadn't yet won the New Hampshire primary, but this is when that was. And I'm sure he would have had bodyguards no matter what, because he, yeah. he probably always has. Yeah, but for, it was like yeah. he had he had Secret Service at Oof. this point. And um, I was like, should I fall asleep or what should I? <laughs> and so the joke, what we did, which it's t- it's in the movie, but it kind of like the the scene in its totality got trimmed. But I. Um, thought it'd be funny like the best way to get rid of a narcissist in my mind is to ignore them yeah and so i like got up a couple times and got on the phone and was like having a conversation behind right. him and then i just like was like oh yeah no right yeah he's boring all right i'll see you guys soon uh-huh. and like, walked out <laughs> um so that was scary i'm not like a punk like a prankster like right. that i'm not either i know it gave I me feel- a lot of anxiety yeah did you um did you have a you know, it's funny because there's, I think there is that sort of, you know, obviously the celebrity and then you have somebody like that who already was a bona fide gross celebrity before this kind of celebrity, but people do have this sort of sense of awe just from recognition alone. Did you feel any of that or have you I, been seasoned enough to be like, so yeah, I can't believe he's real, but at the same time, he's he, fucking right there. Being at that New Hampshire town hall right before the primary it was like he he him winning the new hampshire primary was like the first moment people started to take him seriously so this was like before that but there was an energy in there and we had been to all the different events and there was an energy in there of these people just really liking him real fans Mm -hmm. really taking him seriously and i had all the thoughts you think if like you're like standing behind hitler like a year ago i was terrified of him and i after like that little prank that I pulled, I was like, maybe I should have asked him a question that was like a scary question or, you know, like maybe I should have said something or done something differently um, comedically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't but I, I, it was really scary. I, I was scared of his. Oh, sorry. I don't, I, 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 I don't even think that'll be picked up on microphones, but it's, I have like a home phone that is totally unregistered. That's and so yet old still, school. It's like. I st- and I have voicemail on it too, so I don't even know. What- I guess I have the answer machine in case I need to like screen a call, yeah. but no one has that number except telemarketers. So what am I doing? Like, no, why am I nice still? Nice to have a landline. I get. I mean, I guess that's it. Is there's some sort, some part it's of comforting. me that thinks like, oh, in in the case of an earthquake, like maybe we'll still have a landline, but we won't have cell phones or something. Maybe I don't know. Um, I'll maybe I'll get up and turn that off in a second, but maybe I won't because I don't think that even would be picked up by the mics. But your point uh, being that, yeah, I mean we. All sort of have that like if I were in the room feeling about stuff like this and that's what's sort of I mean I think I didn't that's a shake really his hand significant you did I didn't it's oh you didn't yeah it's sig- but it's a significant experience to have I think on so many levels not the least of which is we all think like yeah if I were in the room I'd blah 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 it's like I don't if you're in a room full of supporters and there's that palpable energy and people are really enthusiastic and you have this fucking guy who's there for that reason, I don't... Well, I you could like have asked him like an indicting it. question or something, but yeah. also like... I mean, I don't know. I, I And now he dominates all aspects of our you know media consumption. He's a part of it. So it's just such a different thing than it was literally a year ago where people were laughing at the idea yeah. of him even winning the Republican nomination. Absolutely. And we all watched it happen like a slow car crash. Yeah. But I still think even though he is POTUS, we have to find a way to mute him and block him and just focus on our legal strategies and protesting. And like, it's so funny how quickly we got into it, but I, I, I do think we have to ignore him and ignore Kellyanne 
And when people are lying, they shouldn't have a right to to be on platforms. Yeah. And that you shouldn't be able to use lies and that sort of disruptive energy to get more attention like that you would you know when you start using libel and slander accusing others but then also doing it yourself to just keep feeding that machine then it's like well what what's left they are like children are like the schoolyard bully you just have to like put him in timeout or just like get rid of him because he's like hurting the class yeah yeah i mean i like the idea that's that's a that's the kind of um that's the sort of balance i've been trying to figure out a way to strike in my own life and my emotions about it. Um, particularly because like, uh, ironically, I just in my, <laughs> my last intro to, to this podcast, I was responding to a letter that I got from a listener, um, that who sort of was like, why aren't you saying like, why well, I don't see you have as loud of a voice in social media and stuff. So then I felt like I had to explain that in my introduction, just in case, like fearfully in case more people were thinking that because I haven't, I don't spend all my time, tweeting about it or talking about it or worrying about it and i'm and part of me is trying to like split myself in half like half the attention needs to go to like this is an urgent situation and we can't be lax because look what happened and if this then what else but the other part of me is like i need to take his power away in my own heart a little bit like I'm sort of going down this road of um, my boyfriend and I got into a long conversation where we were like, wow, this is a sort of like the world's been turned upside down and he's this like capitalist new American version of the Native American coyote trickster. Like if we can just go, oh yeah, this thing comes in when we're not, we don't have our shit straight and comes in and fucks everything up and it causes us to go, "Oh, oh, wait a minute shut the fuck up. I need to get my shit in order. And we do. And we figure out what our, where our power is and what needs to happen and what we've been lazy about and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, he's not our son. Do you know what I mean? He's just off to the side. Like, Oh yeah, you're fuck, you're fucking with us. But you know what? Thank you. Thank you for fucking with us. I had a wave of optimism. I've been pretty despondent and sad. I was a political comedian before the election. And now I feel like I'm just like a sad think piece with legs. (laughs) But I had a wave of optimism thinking if we do get through this with our democracy intact, it will be the first time in my recollection as thinking of like countries that have slipped into fascism or brought fascist regimes into power and been able to squelch them quickly. I mean, like look at like, you know, Chile, Spain, Germany, every country, you know, every country, Italy, um, you know, uh, <laughs> every country I think like has given rise to fascism in a way that we just don't really recall because we're kind of isolationists and they, those fascist regimes have run their course for years, if not decades. And so this could be like a real opportunity and it's almost like we have to like light fires under each and every one of us to be like, if we can get rid of this, impeach him like use our use the checks and balances we ostensibly have or had that i really haven't seen working as well as they should be but use them to just kind of obliterate this regime then like it'll be a really cool roadmap for future uh, liberal democracies to figure out how to make sure that like i i had hope in the electoral college i had hope in uh, our country not ever bringing somebody into power who didn't release his tax returns. Like everywhere that I thought there would be checks and balances, it seems like they have failed. Yeah. And um, 
but the, I still have hopes in the courts and I still have hope, hope in the media weirdly. And I think if we do get through this, it'll be because of social media and it'll be because of the people and the protests. And so I like anyone who asked me what to do aside from voting in the midterms, I encourage people to like protest, obviously donate to the ACLU to fund legal strategies, donate to, to like Planned Parenthood or other kind and of... And also, I think, I mean, as as sort of like much as a trope and a cliche this is that I think people roll their eyes at this too, is be a voice in a, in, in the form of protest, but at that point you are sort of part of a, a big body yeah. of people, but also write, write in, sign petitions, like put your name on yeah. stuff, write, write to your senators, write to yeah. your legislators. And you know, I guess that to, and- to a degree that matters too, but I think like at the beginning people were like really scared to even say anything. Well, yeah, but I think like that's what the problem with people who, you know, there are people in the mid-levels who ostensibly are, are anti-Trump, who are in positions of power, who are afraid of their own cons- constituents because the c- constituents who are making noise are the pro, are the pro Trump people and yeah. the people who are like I've lost that man to Trump need to write in and say I still live in your state too and I'm fucking pissed yeah and I'm not I don't want you to stand behind this guy you said you couldn't stand behind so get out there and do what you're gonna do even if you're a Republican even if I don't agree with yeah, you yeah I have very that. little faith in our politicians like all of them I mean it, it's just really disheartening that it takes. 500,000 people to make a politician like not vote on the wrong side of history that no, still blows my mind it's awful all the republicans marco rubio all those guys but even like democrats like i think schumer's rising to the occasion now maybe but yeah. maybe but like just the fact that like that it takes these like all of our power to to get them to just budge on things that seem intuitive like yeah. let's give kids clean water well, that shouldn't be a fight yeah you know so the I think like also Emily's list is a charity is an organization that's really good at like getting like more women in leadership positions. Like I think that that's sorry, political leadership positions. I think that that's something that like our generation that hasn't had to be political is going to have to like think about like, should we run for office? You know, like if, yeah. So there, there's a shift happening. I, I want to be optimistic about it. Americans in general are optimistic. I'm not necessarily like, I'm like waiting for them to shut down the internet and start getting police to, arrest protesters like that's what i'm afraid of and that seems to be like what the administration is trying to do yeah um too so it's just it's just really scary and i think that while we have this window of free speech and the ability to protest we all have to just take advantage of it yeah yeah Ay, yeah, yeah. Did I know. You, how did you get involved in um was was and this is not a either or but for you coming in and and be getting involved in the daily show w- were you interested in politics and then interested in comedy were you interested in comedy and it sort of found its way into politics or was it all kind of happening at the same time for you as, i as you were got into comedy like through a thesis i wrote in college it was an anthropology um major and i spent a year writing a paper about improv olympic in chicago nice and it became like a political economic analysis so it was like political you know it was actually doing the same both kind of at the same time um and then i was writing for a political sketch show in chicago and i wrote a play that was like a parody of american girl dolls that was uh-huh. satirical and political and then i was doing stand-up that was like more personal and i moved to new york and i was just writing and um a couple years later i got a job writing for letterman that like my note like for that kind of a job your nose is just in the news every day yeah 
but not the cool news. It's kind <laughs> of just the news of like what what will everyone who watches this show know what we're talking yeah. about? Yeah, like how will they know about? You yeah, know? and I was there for a year, and then after that, I got I went to the Daily Show, and that was really cool. The field producer job because we could really just like deep dive into things we cared about, and like I got there at a point when John was like, "Just tell stories you're passionate about. We'll find a way to make them funny." So. Yeah, I was there for three years and I had always been doing political comedy, but I think that show just kind of taught me how to really like lean into satire in a way that I hadn't before. And, you know, it it takes like a literacy and like a skill set. And I think it's really hard and challenging for like a lot of comedians who want to weigh in on politics because it's really intimidating. You Mm. don't want to say something and be like colorblind or like Mm -hmm. on the wrong side of whatever. And so it's scary. Mm -hmm. Um, The pit, the People's Improv Theater in New York actually reached out to me like a month ago or something to teach a class on like women writing for late night. And I was like, that's cool. But I would really like to teach a class to just kind of for just comedians to figure out how to like activate their own like political voice now. Yeah, that's great. So I'll be teaching that. It's just a two session class and I don't know how it's going to go. 10% of proceeds are going to the ACLU. Nice to hear. Yeah. And we're going to try to actually get somebody from the ACLU to talk to the class just about like if they do kind of political prank type things, like if you not going to say get arrested, but just like different protocols of like how to like anytime I go to a protest, I put like my lawyer's, um, phone number on my leg. And oh, wow. Like, Good for you. God, my, this like, is stuff that we never think about. I mean, I would never think about. You just have to kind of be smart. Yeah. You know, I say thank you to cops and yeah. I actually had somebody come down on me and be like, you shouldn't say thank you to cops because I'm like, I know as like a little white chick, right. like I do not have the same experience that you do with police officers, but they are putting their bodies on the line. They're letting us protest peacefully now. And I don't think it's pandering to just be like, thank you for helping us make sure this protest is safe yeah and so and i think that like the scariest thing that's about de-escalating that, all that's that, that de-escalating. is de-escalating and that's the temptation in all of these situations is to escalate i feel i feel like so much rage bubbling in and that's but the problem is is that is not going to help anyone the us versus them we're not to the degree that we're that drawing it, those lines scares the shit out of well me. the scariest thing recently so after the muslim ban uh, I was at JFK for one of the protests and my cousin and her friend are immigration attorneys and we were inside with a bunch of immigration attorneys. They were filing like habeas corpus petitions or whatever to get people who were stuck in limbo detainees into the country and not just sent back without like due process. And so it was fascinating being there. But the scariest part about it was a judge that same night put a stop order on the ban and the Customs and Border people at the airport ignored it and were like sending people back Mm. and that is where you're like what's happening here this is illegal yeah they're listening to trump they're not listening to a judge our system is fundamentally broken and so then that makes you look at you're like okay so the people at the airports need to have like body cams or accountability or something and then you look at the cops and you're like oh the cops could do totally illegal stuff if like they're listening to president trump so those kinds of moments were really scary because that's when you like literally live in like an authoritarian state. Like yeah. you don't live in a democracy yeah. anymore. What um, 
here's my other question for Not you. Not scare you. Right? Remember, <laughs> no, remember no, I, I mean, listen, I, that we, I, I, we need to be scared. I don't and even we try to, to be, be funny anymore. And I think we have to be, you know. Well, maybe not optimistic, but like hopeful, hopeful and active. Yeah. Because optimism is a little scary. Optimism, well, I think it's a, the, the, it, it, it could just be semantics. I don't have the definition of either immediately in front of me, but I think. You want to um, prepare for the worst. You want to prepare for the worst. I, I would Jewish almost person. say try, hope and, and almost faith. I mean, it's, and that's very scary thing to feel right now, but I don't. I don't know how you See, can I would hope. say no. I would not say faith. But I think, but but you have to have faith and hope. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, how, what's what is hope? What hope is hope is, hope what, is just like I don't. Is it, hope like I don't think it's going to work out? But maybe it will. In my mind, hope is what gets you out of bed to continue to be active. Right. So optimism. There's a danger to me in faith because it's it's passive. Like you can pray, right. you know, but that's not active. And there's a danger to me in optimism because it's like it feels like naive and mm-hmm. i'm just could be splitting hairs too no no no. i don't disagree with anything you're saying so, that's kind of what i'm trying to parse out so i feel like here. and i feel like american optimism is also naivete yes it is and 100% there's accurate. a danger in that so i think accurate. like we have to be pragmatic yeah not pessimistic but just but just i don't know i believe in the power of negative thinking in like this like weirdly jewish way i'm like if i plan for the west like i'll be okay right but um i think now we have to plan that like you know we the rights of a democracy are being eroded as we speak and we have to kind of prepare for the worst so like go to the protests being wary of things and and making sure to de-escalate and and know you know like just being being prepared if we if we had been more thoughtful a year ago we wouldn't be in this situation well yeah i yeah i think that's that's the biggest alarm of all is that feeling of like yeah we weren't prepared we're for him a very to win. young we country were prepared for him to win 100%. and we i mean my generation i was born in 83 and uh 80s 90s 2000s like pre-9-11 america was very uh naive and insulated and then after 9-11 happened we like waged war in the wrong country and we still just kind of were naive and didn't vote and weren't political and i remember like my stand-up got more political, I want to say, like, four years ago. But even then, I could count on fingers and toes the number of Americans doing political comedy. But then I'd go into the UK, and so many comedians were political. Mm. And it was just, like, weird to me that we that there was this kind of, like, lull, people not caring. And now everybody's like, what? What? And right. I think, if anything, it, it teaches us, hopefully not too late, like, how fragile these liberal, liberal democracies are. Um, prior to the election, I was like, oh, the, you know, the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. And now I'm like, maybe it doesn't. And I also think like, if we want to kind of shift over to like how, what this election means versus also what it means for women, like that is also this kind of devastating thing that we're still not really like getting, like talking about to the extent that we should be or could be like what Hillary's loss meant and what Hillary's lost to a legitimate, like alleged rapist yeah <laughs> with that alleged yeah. but like who 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 has been on record saying horrible things about women you know who so like so those two things like we haven't really processed those yeah 
Um. <laughs> and it's like, what do we have time to process? That goes to process? back to the thing that you were talking about, which is they're making so, so much, much noise all the time There's that so we don't much. have time to process any one moment of being kicked in the stomach or slapped in the face. We can barely do. We can barely process that it happened because we're just staggering and getting back up again yeah. and going, okay, my vision's a little blurry. What's right in front of me? Oh, I just got punched There's in the nose. There's just a ton of noise. And then you look at what they're doing in Ohio with like reproductive rights and other states and you're like... Oh, so a rapist can now like file for custody for of a child. Like these are real Beyond things. Absurd. Yeah. And yeah. so I think like it's a, it's a lot of things. It's obviously overwhelming. I think that like people, I had a conversation with a friend earlier and he's like, why isn't the left as like aggressive as the right in terms of like, you just look at them and they're like lying. They're making like statements that aren't true. And, and, and my answer, which I don't know if it's right. I, and I hate to like, distill it to this but i it was like it's not democrat versus republican it's not even democrats at this point it's literally just like people with empathy versus like people who lack empathy people who like think that it's a that if you're living in a society you want a safety net for the most vulnerable versus people who don't uh you know fundamentalist absolutist people who are pro-life but also acknowledge that healthcare is being pro healthcare is being pro life versus you know people who are only like pro womb but not even because they want to still deny pregnant women health insurance. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I agree with you. I think I mean I, that's what I keep going back to in my head over and over again is the 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 total there like that there's just a wall between being able to ever imagine you could have been born in different circumstances. Forget anything else, like. I just got born by the people I got born by. I'm not entitled to anything more than any other human person. I don't, there's nothing about me that entitled me to anything different than somebody else in the United States who's born into poverty, than somebody else who's born somewhere else in the world under poverty, yeah. who doesn't live past five. Like, there's nothing about me intrinsically that, like, God gave me some fucking privilege that causes me to not be able to look at someone on the street and go, that could have been me. But I think that could have been me. Yeah. Why can't, and the fucking, I mean, the Bible, don't even, but because, you know, this sort of like, but, but this is my, this is my question for you. How do we reach the people that voted for him? Because we can't say you're our enemy now. We have to share this country together, but I think you're poison. There are reasonable people. Some, I mean, there's a hundred reasonable people who voted for him, and and we we can't just pit ourselves against them and say we're protesting. I, I, that's it's like, why come I here come with me. Yeah, of course. Let me let me show you how I see this and, and like, wh- let's change this. And that's why I'm not using the term Democrat. I'm really just trying to, I'm, I'm trying to kind of distill it down to other things that people who might have voted for him would fall into the category of, cause like I a firmly, humanist pers- you know, or something. something like that. But I, I, I really do believe there are, you know, people, there are more people who believe people should have clean water than aren't like I, but I, I think because of, you know, Fox news and the framing and the like branding of pro-life movement, like I'm pro-life, I'm totally pro-choice, but like you guys get that phrase pro-life, you know what I mean? And I think like words are really powerful and we have to do a better job at articulating these things to, to make people who aren't really well read or kind of just like half listen to the news or don't listen to the news. Like, or I, just very susceptible simple. to fear, very susceptible yes, to the I, language of fear. I think we inducing. all have to do a better job at monitoring that. Like why you can't say fuck on TV, but Kelly and Conway can lie without being fined. That blows my mind. Like if you are saying things that are false, you should be fined. Right. And I think that, you know, I actually was in Joshua tree this weekend and, uh, somehow ended up at a table with a bunch of like biker chicks 
And one of them voted for Hillary. One of them voted for Trump and regrets it. And one of them voted for Trump and does not regret it. And we talked for a little while. And I mean, she's a good person. Yeah, She's a good person. She just has like views that are, you know, she's a, she's xenophobic. She's possibly like, you know, anti-Muslim or whatever, but only cause she doesn't have friends who are Muslim. And like, um, and you kind of have to figure out, I think we have to just do a better job at messaging. And I think that sadly, like the people who voted for him will, a, a lot of them could be in a cult, uh, called a personality and B, some of them are coming around and when their health insurance is defunded, um, they'll, more of them will come around. But I, I, I agree with you. I mean, there was so much rage, at least on my part after the election and like, especially towards other white women of being like, how could you sell us out like that? And now I think it's just trying to figure out like our commonalities and like as a white woman, am I in a better position to talk to white women who voted for him and try to bring them back to our side? But I, I hugged her name was Cindy and I hugged her and I'm like, we need you back. We need you. But you also have to be empathetic. She had a really hard life, a really hard life. Absolutely. And a lot of these people live in places where there's like Oxycontin epidemics. There's no upper mobility. There's no jobs. They're seeing jobs going overseas. And Trump was telling them what they wanted to hear. And in America, because we equate wealth with the success, it was like they're looking at him and they're not seeing. I, from a New Yorker, can spot a con artist, you know, a mile away. But they're seeing somebody with his name on buildings and they're thinking he's successful. So I think that it's like. Yeah. And we've done we've done a really interesting job of, you know, by virtue of our own creative output by virtue of Hollywood, by virtue of these maverick ideals that, you know, it's this distortion of like, oh, this is the, this is the outlier, right? This is the person who's going to be the voice for us because he's not in the machine opposed to like, no, 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 And we should have treated him like a politician. Like there are people who uh, talked about like Italian friends of mine who were under Berlusconi. They're like Berlusconi, like once we started to treat him like a politician and not this like outsider who was going to like change everything. That's when you really show their vulnerability. If you just look at him like, and, and like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but if you were just like, if you really just focus on Donald's policies, I think that that's where they would have got him. But because they branded him as an outsider, people related to that yeah. white people, yeah. like white people on the like, I was thinking maybe naively, but like the last gasp of like the white person being like, you know, the face of America, I think like overreacted to that and and voted for him. Yeah. It's, I was, um, did you watch, uh, the OA? I haven't seen that yet, but I heard this was not a spoiler in any way, but there is just an, it's the implication I think of the overarching of the show is that it's incidental, but because of the timing of it, um, and also, like, I'm sure it's not incidental, but it's it's neat because it's sort of not what the show's about at all. But there's this point at which they the the what is written on the Statue of Liberty is read aloud, and I was I was sobbing my eyes out, going, yeah. "How can you hear that? Yeah, how can you even hear those words? I know, and make that decision. It just is. No, I know, and the, it's 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 it's." And the Muslim, and like the ban comes from like countries that have not had like terrorists attacking us, and it's like women and children who have been heavily vetted. It was really being at JFK that night was really, really, really sad. Yeah. Did you grow up in a in a sort of multicultural world? Are you do you no, from Chicago? I grew up from- in a tiny little suburb of New Jersey, um, and then I went to like a midwestern college. I did not like grow up in like the. Th- 
throngs or throes of multiculturalism. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I grew up the only like Jewish kid in my town, one of. Um, it was very like uh, white bread, I guess, <laughs> like Italian Catholic, Irish Catholic, Protestant. Yeah. Were you, did you feel at that time like, I don't really fit in here? No, or did I you mean, feel everybody like, was really nice, yeah. but like it's weird because so my best friend growing up, her mom is black and her dad is white. And she was like one of the only like black people in my town. And so she felt it on a level I couldn't, but I weirdly was like, yeah, no, I totally get it. Like we're both minorities, but like, no, like, and I didn't realize that until I lived abroad in Chile where I was like in this neighborhood where I stuck out like a sore thumb. I looked different than everybody. And that was like the first moment of being like, oh, like this is what it feels like to really like look like an alien to people or like look different. And so, and I remember like coming back and like apologizing to her and just being like, I was like, I didn't get it. Like I didn't get what she must have gone through growing up because it was just like probably really hard for her yeah um so yeah i mean and then even just the idea of like white privilege i this is like so embarrassing to admit but like i didn't really understand what that term was to the degree that i understood it until i worked on this one daily show piece with sam b and jessica williams on race we just did this piece where we interviewed a panel of all white people and a panel of all black people after president obama was like we need to have like candid discussions on race or frank discussions on race and the joke was that we put Sam and Jessica in the wrong rooms. So like Sam was with all black people and Jessica's with, was with all white people. And um, there's like this, and we asked each panel the same questions. And one of the questions was like, have you ever been stopped and frisked? And the all white panel or all, the all white panel, like it was like six people and they're all like, no, 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 no. And then like one old la- Jewish lady at the end was like, yes, I have. And Sam, and Jessica's like, you've been stopped and frisked. And she was like, at the airport. And we're like, oh God. <laughs> And I'm like, I can't even put this in. But and then you go to uh, Sam's panel and out of six randomly selected people, five had been stopped and frisked. And then Sam goes to the sixth girl. Wait, so you've never been stopped and frisked. And the girl's like, well, I just moved here. (sighs) And you're like, this is New York in 2016. Yeah. And like every single one of you has been stopped by police for like walking while black. Yeah. And the white panel doesn't even know what stop and frisk means. Yeah. And that was like this moment where I was like, fuck. And that's what white privilege is. Like not having to think about race. That is the privilege. And it's not your your fault that you had that relationship to it because you can't, you're, you know, it's you, 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 you're from where you're from and you experience what you experience. But I think to me that also, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it also feels like, you know, there, that's a, that's a rolling. It's almost like, doing comedy or doing math problems or anything that you have to sort of stay in shape. It's like, we need to keep relearning that. You don't, you don't, you shouldn't just learn it once and then you know it. You know what I mean? It's like, no, this is a, this is a fluid living, breathing thing that is very present and that we hopefully should be checking in with all the time, even if, you know what I mean? Like, well, you just have to be aware of your privilege. And like, for example, like I go to black lives matter marches because being like a white lady, like I will stand between the cops and the protesters, you know? And like, you understand, and do like, you feel welcomed in that environment. Cause I know yes. there are people who are, who will, you know, who are like, well, I don't belong there because I don't have a right. It was the same I feel way marginalized men, by, you like know. men were like, should we go to the women's March? And, yeah. and some of my friends were like organizers of the March. And like, we were like getting the messaging out of like, yes, yeah, it's important. Like intersectionality, which is like a kind of eye roll word is actually really important for these kinds of movements because it's like, 
it's all of us together. You know, it's like all people who value humanity and people and equality and like uh, people's ability to thrive and survive. Like that's who is hopefully at these marches. And Jonathan Chait, who's like a New York mag writer, he it, it I, he's been so on point the whole election. But then he came down on the women's march, being like, Fem- "Like feminism is important, but like it shouldn't be the biggest anti-Trump march." And it's like you're missing the entire point because so much about this election that we still can't even talk about was gender, and like you still can't even talk about it in like a public way, and you can't even begin to dissect what Hillary's gender had to do with it. And yes, it was like, you know, her candidacy wasn't perfect. She was hated, but why was she hated? And like, and, and, and I mean, like my American cunt is so much about that. And it was about that before the election when I was like optimistic. And now it's just like a darker, weirder time. And there were like a lot of problems with Hillary. And there was like a lot of lack of intuition on the part of, you know, her campaign and yada, yada, yada. But like, Gender is a thing that we just keep pushing aside because it's never the most important thing. And so, yeah, but um, just in terms of what we were talking about before with white privilege, I think that like as white people, it's it's really important to just like find out how to be. And there are like classes that can like teach you how to be like a better ally. I think for me, the best thing has been just listening to people of color and what they have to say and what they you know, want from you and mm. trying to be that person. And not to be, and to be in a position, I mean, like this happens to me on the podcast frequently with, with sometimes with my guests of color where I'm like, listen, I'm just going to ask this obnoxious question about growing up black in Chicago because I would rather ask it and have you tell me that's inappropriate. And then I know that than just not say anything or not ask or not, you know, because then that, that, that sense of like oppression, like self-oppression feels feels dishonest it just feels like oh well that's not you know that 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 i i don't have the right to have that curiosity or to have that concern or to be willing to put myself in the crosshairs and go like this is probably a really shitty ignorant thing to ask but like i'm going to at least i'll know if it's shitty and ignorant if it's not great you know what i mean yeah and it also that takes the literacy too like i was asked about like white feminism um, right before I went on stage, some blog was like, what are your thoughts on white feminists? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, like I, I understand that like feminism, the movement, I know how to respond to that. Well, to a general, it, it, well, it's tough too. Cause then they're like Amy Schumer and Lena, like the white feminist. And I'm like, first of all, like, I don't want to, I don't think like we need to shit on anyone to like talk about an issue that is universal. Um, but also like, and I didn't really know what to say, but I did research. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, you know, I didn't realize to the extent that feminism was like rooted in like an exclusionary, like specifically white women's movement. And so like the, some non-white female friends are like, you know, I actually prefer like a womanist because the term feminism is kind of racist mm, or late or totally racist. And I'm like, I didn't realize that. I would that, never but, have thought that. But now I, I get it. And yeah. like whatever, you know, and so, and, and, you have to just make sure also like as like with feminism or womenism or whatever that you are being intersectional, intersectional, like embracing other women. And like some people might be like, oh, that's a lot of work, but it's not. It just takes like a moment of thought and it yeah. makes everything better. And you have to just kind of, you know, like work, work in your writer's rooms, make sure they're not just like white people or not just men. You know what I mean? Like it, you have to just kind of if you're in a position of power, just try to be inclusive. Yeah. And what do you think about this is, by the way, the least my 
I, you know, I you probably don't even know this, but seriously, my podcast is like I really am supposed to only ask you about my t- your teenage years. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm like, why does she keep wanting we to know? Got, about yeah, my well, th- that is that is why I'm kind of touching in with it from time to time, just so like there's <laughs> that that part of my brain is like my teenage I, years I, were ch- great. I check one tiny box off. Um, President Clinton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hillary she was to- president after '98. He was yeah, in the doghouse. So. Did you get to uh, the feel the feeling of what it felt like to be a young person? Those first opportunities to vote and and trying to hold on to that feeling as well but um but but what uh what do you think about the idea because that's the sort of other thing that comes up in comedy right is the sort of pc versus non-pc and um what's up for grabs and what do we need to be racially and and genderly sensitive to you know what i'm saying like what are like what's what's off what's off limits when you're on stage if it's thoughtful if it's provocative if it's satirical when is it when is it not appropriate to make a comment or a joke and who gets to decide who can and who can't because i know that's something that a lot of people are talking about now is like well what is where where are the where lines drawn the line? and, and what's not and 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 are we so pc that we've sort of lost the ability to um you know be loose on some level. So I've always felt, and I've said this a bunch of times, I think you can talk about anything and say anything. Soda. Okay. No. I know. I think, Remember I warned you. I think I said hiccuping, but what soda, I should have said was burping. burping. Um, I think you can talk about anything or say anything as long as it's authentic and coming from a place of humanity. Yeah. And there's like a vulnerability in it. And I think people hopefully will generally be on your side. Obviously there are exceptions to everything. I've said things on stage that, you know, I would take back that have been filmed, you know, because also part of being on stage is like improvising and um, and and saying and like having that free flow. And now that everybody has cameras on their phones, like it can get like dangerous. You know, I think I've like said like the R word on stage, you know, which I still whatever. I wouldn't say it on a podcast, but you know, it, it's a, it's a loaded word. I'm not talking about like special needs people. I just said the word. Right. So whatever. But um, I think that that no topic should be off limits. Again, if it's coming from a place of humanity, I remember to bring it back to the podcast when I was younger, uh, some of the first jokes I ever told were dead baby jokes because mm-hmm. a lot of the guys would like sit around like drinking beer and making like racist jokes or whatever, or ethnic jokes. And I, they never sat well with me. Um, so I would just tell dead baby jokes because they were like equal opportunity. Like there are babies in every culture and they were like, you're so weird. And I'm like, how do you <laughs> like, um, yeah, but they were funny to me cause they were dark. Yeah. And that was funny. And they weren't like exclusionary to anybody. They didn't like single people out. They singled out babies, but like everybody loves babies. And so that somehow makes it darker than anything else. Yeah. But so that's, that was like my first like foray into comedy, not even realizing it, but I would always tell dead baby jokes. Were you, you said that you would be around a group of guys. Was that kind of, did you feel like there was, you were kind of, when you got into comedy or you were interested in it when you were younger, that it was kind of predominantly guys. And did you feel that sense of like, how do I like that kind of, that sort of challenge of like, how do I earn the respect of my male peers without sort of acting as male? Um, I think that there is like a myth that like men consume more comedy. I think maybe comedy has been marketed to men. The type of comedy that has been amplified has been more like male comedy. But now with all the platforms and like the internet, you're seeing women are like 
women consume comedy, I would imagine, to similar degrees that men do. Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, Sketchfest is 50-50. Our patrons, I mean, with San Francisco, but it's a bubble. But like the but 90s and the early 2000s, yeah. Comedy Central was pretty oh, sure yeah. that and like yeah. only, yeah, you get it, but that yeah. like only men consume comedy. It's that, um, it's that, it's that catching in, a, putting yourself in a loop, which is very in yeah. industry anyway. It's like, these people watch us, so we make programs for these people, so it's these that, people watch that's us. That's exactly. So we make this but in terms of your, like, like peer groups, did was that? Did you feel like you were surrounded by like equal parts? Boys I think and girls I had more guy friends growing up. I had girlfriends, but I got mean girled in sixth grade. Like I got because I was always like really like I kind of marched the beat of my own drummer. Like I played tennis. I had all sorts of different groups of friends. When all the cool girls who were my friends were like smoking, I was like, I'm not gonna smoke. I'm not gonna like make out with the boys. I had like confidence, and I think I just got mean girled, and yeah. so more of my friends who were loyal who stayed my friends were guys but i'm not like a guy's girl like i love women and i some of my best friends from childhood are women and men um so i want to be careful because there is that thing of like i'm a guy's girl and i'm not that yeah um no i i can totally understand it and for me it was the same thing it uh, my i I had much closer relationships with girls like my junior and senior year of high school because I had a sort of and the older you friends get, turning on me thing where yeah. I became so distrustful of girls. Of girls. Bless their hearts. And like, you but know, when there's I, not when they're not insecure, like I think at that age, girls are really insecure and they're vicious because they're so smart. Girls are so smart. Yeah. That's a whole separate conversation. Yeah. But I, just, <laughs> I, just, I have a niece and a nephew and I love them both. But my niece is like a year and a half younger than my nephew. And the two of them, like, age wise like she is he's smart in other ways but she is like so intuitive and picking up on cues and, and trying sort of to interact with people like he'll go play with legos and she's like playing with you and and trying to bring you joy through her playing and you're mm-hmm. like it's just a different level and there's a study that just came out that said that at age six little girls start to stop having the confidence that little boys have i think they ask like five-year-olds are you smarter than how much you work or do you work harder than you are smart? And five-year-olds, there is no gender disparity, but I think among six-year-olds is when all the, like most of the girls would say that they work harder than they are smart. And there was like this, it just broke my heart to, mm. to hear that. And is that, is that sociological or are we saying that it it's is entirely? Be. I mean, like, I don't know. I, it's, it's know. definitely not nature. Like yeah. it's, I, I think, I think that little girls are perceptive. And if you have teachers applauding little boys and I don't know, I mean, yeah. I have no idea, but it, it got me thinking like, do boys catch up to little girls or are, are girls and women just muted down to like pander to men? <laughs> like, are we just more brilliant? Sorry guys. <laughs> I have one of my best friends is a man. I love men. I I still date them. I love men, but I also like, and I, and there are some, you know, horrible women, but on a whole, I just feel like maybe because we give life, we are more empathetic and just a little bit more evolved. And I think every culture should let women just like run it for a little bit. And I think like all of my male friends agree. They, they're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm and the other thing that I'll insert into this is that I'm so interested to see how our relationship to gender if we are if we make sure that we are able to continue exploring that in a liberal-minded empathetic way that there that our whole relationship to what it means to be a boy and a girl could start really drastically changing and that, you know, 
that men would have when I to think feel about masculine so many of and my, like yeah. a spectrum. And I and think about so many of my male friends in high school and that they were so sensitive and so sweet and, and so it gets emotional. With and it yeah, gets muted Yeah, exactly. And that, that, that there could be a point at which we see our brains are so, are, there's such a spectrum even just in the way our brains work. Yeah. For, you know, a left-handed person versus a right-handed person, uh, a, a person who's bi, a person who f- doesn't identify really as either My male or female really if they're given the sure. opportunity to go, <laughs> I'm another, there. you know, I don't know. I don't feel... I don't, I don't want there's something about gendered. my genetics that yeah. don't that don't I don't feel comfortable espousing those things. I think that could be really interesting. That right? was one of the really interesting things about 2016, how quickly we came around to the idea that gender is fluid and staring at that like versus our current reality where like Mike Pence is like trying to push for conversion therapies. You know what I mean? Like it's so hard because I really felt like we were on the precipice of such amazing things for like working moms and like for for gender fluid, gender identity. Like there was such, it was such a cool time in 2016 um, that, yeah, I, I hope we get there. I, again, back to the election, I'm not sure. Um, another thing, just try, trying, trying to tie it back to the, theme of the podcast i mean i for thank you so much for really <laughs> taking the reins on that because i'm I trying off the i'm off the rails well i don't i mean i just know with how old i am and how i was raised uh we are the title nine generation like equal funding men Indeed. and women sports um i grew up in a town where like uh the girls teams were as or more successful than the boys teams and i really did grow up feeling that women could do or be anything like i really i played sports yeah um what sports did you play? Tennis, and then I nice. ran track. But I am like the best runner, male or female, was Aaron Donahue, who went to the Beijing Olympics. So nice. the fastest runner in my school was a female. Nice. You know what I mean? So yeah. and, the, and the kicker on the football team was a female, was a, a captain of the soccer team. And it was just like a very, like, I felt like it was a very, like, egalitarian. We had cheerleaders, but they were kind of like dorks that everybody, like, didn't really make fun of, but they were, like, not, like, the cool girls were the athletes. Mm-hmm. And so I got awesome. a public school. poor public schools but I just like I grew up that way and then I went to college and being in the workforce in my 20s being like like a female in Letterman's writers room the first time you had two female writers working like with an all-male field team at the Daily Show I really yeah I was gonna say that's a that's a place where I feel like I've seen change well they hired me based on my potential not on my experience which is a thing that doesn't really happen with women in the field department i had made a couple shorts and a web series and they were like we think you can do this job and they really trained me how to be a how to be a director and so like i and then like leading up to the election i saw tig notaro uh sell out carnegie hall and a partner on charla open for her and then i saw i was at full frontal the night before the election and it felt like being in like america's womb as we're about to give birth to our first female president and then i was like on colbert election night and then the apocalypse happened and it was really just leading up to the election. I was so hopeful and optimistic. And I was like ebullient. Like I, I mean, my skin was glowing. Mm. I was like so excited. Yeah. And then the night of the election, I talk about this a little bit in my stand up when I was on Colbert. It like, it was so scary. And I made like, it wasn't even a joke, but I just was like, um, I looked in the camera and I was like, get your abortions now. I just kind of said that. And it was live on Showtime. And it, that was a moment where, and the feedback I had gotten from that, I was like, oh, I'm so out of touch with America. Like, and I know we talk about bubbles, whether they're real or not. I do think, 
at that moment in New York, it might have been a bit of a bubble, yeah. which I want to live in forever. But it was like <laughs> yeah. this moment of just like, wow, like these are things that we just took for granted. And it, even with comedy in the past decade, how amazing it's been. Yeah. For us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, God, it's a strange time. It's, it's a really strange time. How do you feel like people, like, what do you, do you have a thought or a sense of what, and now I'm, now I'm bringing it back in a totally new way, but what people who, like people that who are in high school, who are teenagers, who are seeing this happen, do you have a sense of what that means for them or what their responsibility is or isn't? Do you feel like you have, I mean, if you don't, you don't, that but like, scares me. I don't have a sense. That I don't have a really sense. Sad. I feel like I've met some real apolitical teenagers. I feel like I've met some very passionate ones. So I don't have a sense in my head of these are the, these are the future voters. Here's how they feel about all of this. I want to optimistically think that this is emboldening children to be political. And I definitely think it is for teenagers. I worry the most about like the kids who are like seven or eight, who are just learning how to share and how to not be bullies and then they're seeing a bully become president. That to me is the scariest like age, I think. Like you're just, you're old enough and you're cognizant enough to to get what's happening, but you're not old enough to know what it was like to have a president who people yeah. respected, who is thoughtful and smart. Um, but I think the, I, I definitely am hopeful about the future just because they're they have respect for the planet that the the men and women in power in our country now seem to not and have. that there are potentially if we can hold on to those changing values or we can hold on to the sort of flexibility that we've starting to see even with quote-unquote millennials on the younger side of this idea of like, why do you need me to define X, Y, or Z? Or I feel I do have the power to change the world. Like those sorts also, of feelings. Yeah. And I also, there's been a push I've read about. Uh, and I really now with the Betsy DeVos thing, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, they're going to be teaching creationism in school and they should be teaching media literacy. But I did love the idea of teaching media literacy to kids. It's not just about learning how to code to prepare for the future. It's about learning how to like understand what you're, what you're what is being put in front of you what like you're being sold what you're being shown to be able to sift through it yeah figure out what's legit like i my news now intake i stopped i was reading you know the new york times blah blah blah, washington post and i actually stopped and i started i just all my news now i go on twitter and i follow the journalists who i respect Mm. from all sorts from again washington post uh New Yorker, like all whatever, Mother Jones, Thing Progress, uh, The Intercept, all, all fine. But also even, I don't really read Breitbart, but like even more like centrist, like The Economist or whatever, like mm. I'll find the journalists and the reporters who I like and I follow them on Twitter. And it's like the way that you go to a farmer's market to pick out the food that you eat to <laughs> make sure that like, you know, you're a farmer. Sure. I feel like we should be doing that a little bit with news. And yes, it kind of creates our own bubble. But at the same time, it makes me more sane to filter out the insanity and to just kind of like, I don't watch TV news anymore. It's just, I just read stuff. Yeah. Um, and to kind of curate, uh, curate your news. Cause otherwise we will go mad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, God, there was one other thing that was on the tip of my tongue that I wanted to ask about. And then I, I think I, I mean, I might have to get into this mash game. I, I don't even know where I'm going to begin to start with it because <laughs> it's mash. usually so frivolous <laughs> and like completely lighthearted. Um, 
I know this is so intense. I'm sorry. I'm no, no, no. It's right good. Now. Listen, listen. I, I've had seldom repeat performances because a lot of the time it's like, well, I'm not going to make you rehash more stories of your. It's not really what the podcast is, but obviously, like the intention is not, you know, come back and we'll talk more about your high school years. Although sometimes that's merited, but like we can, we listen. We can re- get back together in three months, talk about how we feel about what's been going on in the last three months, and then we can dig deeper into teenagerhood. Um, this is what feels important to talk about right now, for sure. Uh, God, what was I going to say? Uh, uh, uh. It was on the tip of my tongue. M- maybe it'll bounce back into my head. Um, certainly the idea of curating your news. I mean, that that definitely makes sense. And that's, but these guys know I worked um, for the Huffington Post when they launched their HuffPost Live network. I was sort of there and we launched it and um, I had to stop consuming news. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I had to stop consuming news. Uh, and really ever since I've had to be really careful because it was exactly, I'm sure it was what you were experiencing at Letterman, except I wasn't writing jokes about it. I was actually trying, you know, I actually had to like sit and have conversations about it. Um, but it, and and that was and it was the year of you know Hurricane Sandy and Sandy Point and the Colorado shooting and Jesus. the reelection and I mean it was I was I started having panic attacks I man I couldn't my yeah. brain was like oh I'm not a, I'm not a journalist I'm not a journalist I can't do this I've I, this is like dropping somebody in and being like you're an astronaut now yeah no, oh did Sandy we forget to tell you how to emotionally handle X Y and like I just no, couldn't even do it was, so but I, but what I was gonna say was. Um, how when we were talking, we were talking about the seven and eight year olds out there. I was thinking about just those first moments of because I don't have kids, so I don't have that measuring stick kind of to, to time the way somebody who watches their child grow and sort of teaches their child about the world. And um, I don't have that in front of me every day in the same way. But those first moments when you realize, like, oh, this person was born after nine eleven, like they have no reality beyond a post nine eleven world. Just to use that as a watermark, um, and I was that just made me flash back to thinking about when I was a kid or you know even a teenager, thinking about my parents having these things that they spoke of, like the Vietnam War or. Um, I mean, this is pre first Gulf War, you know, but like having the NJFK being shot and thinking, having the sense as a teenager of, oh, I'm never going to have like all that crazy shit happened when they were my age or when they were in their 30s or whatever. All these kind of important historical events have happened. And at the time I was like, what do we get? You know, Ronald Reagan, like this isn't, you know. And now it is kind of, it's not that I was wishful for that, but to realize like, oh, I'm a full grown adult now. And I have my own set of those of like, oh, sweetie, you weren't even, you don't really, you have a vague memory of the towers. Like, wow, wow. Okay. I'm that person now. I have, you know, we, I have those that like our country is, has its scars from our lifetime now. And it's really hard. 9-11 9-11 is why I'm a comedian. <laughs> is it really? Were you like, I did didn't want to die in a business suit. It's not a yeah. joke. And anyone listening, I'm a comedian. I don't, you couldn't tell I was a comedian. I think you've uh, expressed a lot of empathy and heart to this point. You're pretty safe to say anything at this point. I don't think anybody's going to oh. misconstrue it. No, I here mean, on this podcast. I, I like certainly. tried to like joke about it too, just cause like, <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, no, I, I think it's, um, I have a friend who's a musician too. Too, and nine eleven. it's just like I was a freshman in college when something like that happens it, it does make you be like and my I was on that track like my mom wanted me to go to business school I almost went to NYU business school and then I decided to go to like a liberal arts college in the Midwest but when something like that happens 
you're just like I, I and I think our whole generation is like that and now hopefully the next generation will all go into politics <laughs> yeah no I mean I think that's it right but I that's think a lot of us are like weird like mirror image from, <laughs> from the, they're they're a hundred percent connected to one another right there's absolutely a thread that goes from that event to this mm-hmm. and what is the sort of ripple effect going to be for the for those children I think you're absolutely right those yeah. young people and maybe and hopefully it will be this sort of like oh this is the kind of this is the way i have to participate not only in yeah. my own life but in the the future of of everyone's lives yeah you know fuck okay all right listen i'm gonna get into this mash this will be fun this will be like uh this will be like hey like here's a, a little taste cleanser. of the fun stuff yeah be yeah yeah, It'll yeah. Be like oh this is some of the stuff we should talk about okay okay, cool. okay so let's start with um this this will all be like totally fantasist so let's start with three movies that um you can jump into at will and you're not really the plot but you are just getting that world all over you it's like you get to interact with those characters it's almost like a vacation inside of a movie annie hall great um the wedding singer amazing i would say clueless or sorry married an axe murder they're both great clueless oh, so we married an axe murder so, so good. good yeah uh you want to put clueless sure okay Okay, great. Um, next one is three foods that uh, in this world are a either very difficult for you to get a hold of at a moment's notice. It could be something that's back in Chicago that you're like, oh, I'm craving, blah blah blah. Um, and also helpful if it's something that's uh, not particularly healthy in in the reality that we mm-hmm. live in now. So it so could be limitless food. chocolate chip cookies. It could be yeah, and it okay. could be as specific as one thing, or it could be as vague as like pizza. There is this like gelato at this place. Uh, I forget the name of it. It was avocado. It was so good. It's oh, not bad yum. for you, but it was such a good avocado gelato. I love it. Um, hmm. What else? Oh, the soft pretzels at the Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia are really oh, good. Oh, give me a good soft pretzel, everybody. Now, um, would that be with uh, cheese and a sprinkling of salt? No, the would Dutch, it be just... Pennsylvania Dutch, they make Got really it. good soft pretzels. Mm-hmm. Uh, lobster roll, Luke's lobster roll in Hell New yes. York. There you go. Fantastic. Okay. Let's do uh, three people from uh, today, from history, but real people, living or dead, that you wish you sort of had uh, the bat phone to that you could sort of call and you could shoot the shit and it just is fun and they make you laugh or it could be like, what do I do about this, this, and this? Or what did you do? Uh, Dorothy Parker. Great. Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) Wonderful. And Elaine May. Oh, Elaine May. Wonderful, 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 wonderful. Okay. Uh, let's do three places that would be awesome to have a vacation home uh, in the world if traveling to get to them weren't an issue. Three places that I love. Mm-hmm. Or even places you haven't been to that sort of, this would be your fantasy version. Like, oh, maybe it turns out that I don't love Tokyo, but in this, but let's pretend like it's my idealized version of. Or real places. Mm, I guess many it's a real place. places that I want to go. Um, I really like uh, um, Buenos Aires in Argentina. Oh, it's a real place. I, it's it's absolutely a real place. It's so gross of me to say like New York. I'm not going to do it. You can do it. This is your mash game. If you love game. New York, you love New York. I love New York. I love New York. Let's do it. You got a little uh, teleport yourself to New York whenever you like. There's nothing wrong with that. Um. I like wanna oh I'll say like uh I uh a place with a really good beach maybe in Indonesia. Okay. 
Okay, great. Um, let's do alternate universe. Could be just like sexy times. Could be a long-term companion. Um, it could be like a character from a book, but like this is MASH. So it's like, who do you marry? But like oh, could also okay. be just like, listen, I just want to have wild sex with this okay. character from this book. Um, Malcolm McDowell from A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> Howard yeah. Rourke from The Fountainhead. Everyone who has listened to this podcast more than twice is like... You're going to have to fight Janet for Malcolm McDowell and Clockwork Orange. <laughs> I really psychoanalyzed really? why I was obsessed oh, with a yeah. rapist murderer yeah, teenager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, sorry. I was so preoccupied with that. I didn't hear what you said. Someone oh, from Family I Hits? said Howard Rourke, but I'm over him. No, I'm going to say John Lewis. Great. Representative John Lewis from Georgia. Great. And, um, hmm. Da, 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 da. Oh, Bill Hicks. Great. Great, great. Great, great, great. This is this is nice. This is a good potpourri. This is exactly the civil good. rights hero, kind yeah. of misanthropic comedian and uh, fictional rapist. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> check, check, and cool. check. Gotta have the priorities straight. Um, okay, let's do next one is. Um, uh, I'm going to go back to this one. It's a little more kind of meta, but the idea of experiencing or seeing or tasting something that the first time you did it you sort of, you, that it is the sort of that chasing that feeling of like, God, I wish I could see that for the first time again, or I wish I could feel, I wish I could walk into that room for the first time mm. again. Three, that you sort of get to have that rush. This is cheesy, time. but the first time I did improv. Great. I was like, so, not cheesy at all. It was like uh, my heroin or whatever. Um, Great. Heroin? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> also You'll heroin. Never ha- it's never as good as cocaine. Heroin, it might be the second Crack. time, right? Don't you no, barf all over done. yourself for a Yeah, I've never done heroin. <sighs> um, what else? Oh, love. Great. Or lust, whatever. They're different. I would say lust. I don't know. Love. I'll take it. Um, uh, like a soft serve. Mmm. Hells yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the cheesiest, I, but I like, I do feel like the first time kid. I took a bite of spicy tuna on crispy rice, I was like, no, hold on. Yeah. If you're just like What's a little kid to my tasting right like now? vanilla soft serve for the first time, you're like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Oh, I missed. I just missed the Dairy Queen experience. Yeah, of how and and of how how something just like going to Dairy Queen could be a thing that makes you feel like your whole life has changed for the better permanently. Um, okay, and then final category, I will do like um, a singer or band that um, you can just sort of like be at one of their shows or almost even they're just playing for you. Living or dead. Yeah, living or dead. Mm-hmm. So Nina Simone, I love right. Nina Simone. Um. Paul Simon. Nice. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I like that Simone and Simon. I was looking at them for a second, like, oh, oh there's a there's a trend going on here. If you said like Simon Le Bon, I would really yeah. know that you just had a penchant for Simons uh, or Simones, as the case may be. Okay, so this is the mash part. I, you know, I do my little like hash marks or whatever the way by which I determine what you end up with. So just tell me when to stop. Stop. This is a woman who knows how the game is played. I'm going to pause this. I need to do some very minor calculating and I will come back with your 100% guaranteed mash future. Okay. All right. This is where shit gets real. I know it seemed like how could shit get realer than what our podcast was, but (laughs) it's, it's come all the way back around again. This is so absurd. That shit just got real. Uh, First of all, I want to congratulate you on... I mean, this is just like painting a real nice picture for me. 
And this sort of makes sense in a way, which is that you, I just love imagining you, you've got your beautiful house uh, that's just off a, a beach in Indonesia. I just see you relaxing there, tasting your delicious and unlimited supply of this very special avocado gelato. But you're also experiencing the taste of soft serve for the first time. Now, I understand that avocado gelato and soft serve aren't exactly the same thing. But this idea of like the almost orgasmic experience of just mm. eating ice cream and it the creaminess like of it diarrhea. and the relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> and the beauty of just wading out into that beautiful water and having diarrhea and no one has to know about it. Great. Lucky duck. Am I with the rapist? <laughs> you are. I'm afraid to say you actually, uh, you've, you've, you've called back uh, some of the stuff we were talking about because you ended up with uh, Dreamboat. Representative John Lewis for Georgia. <laughs> oh, that's romantic. I don't when know if you'd be happy about it. <laughs> you'd be like, get me out of here. Who are you? I don't mean being kidnapped. Not in this world, baby. You, and I'll tell you what. You can, uh, you can quiet his mind with uh, a little Paul Simon. Okay. Because he's going to show up and back you up in any way, okay. in any way you need. Um, you know who else is going to back you up? Stanley Kubrick. 100%. Oh, interesting. 100%. Okay. And... Uh, and then when you need a break from all of this wonderfulness, which I don't know why you would, but should you need it, I want you to feel very confident that you can hop into the world of Clueless Aww. at any time. Just hang with those cuties. That's such a Just nice... Hang with uh, them. That's nice. It's a good one, right? Mm -hmm. So we got our little palate cleanser. Um, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thanks and I, for and, having and me. American Cunt is very... Uh, that's something that if it, people follow you on Twitter, they oh, already yeah, know. Oh, yeah, you can get it on iTunes. Check it out. It's on iTunes. And um, thank you. I feel... Uh, upset but also i do feel um hopeful motivated i feel hopeful and motivated and i feel motivated to action great yeah and Good. i feel like these moments are very important in the the climate of today because we live in a place where we can do this and right now it can go right out into the world and no one can stop us we still so have free let's speech celebrate it. exactly yeah thank um, you all right guys talk to you next time on the podcast As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.